together, all right? Um, well, we are in James. Uh, if you open your Bibles to James chapter 2, uh, if you grab one from the baskets, they're marked with the yellow post-it note, but this summer we're doing a series on the book of James, which is a letter. It was written by James, who was the leader of the very first Christian church that met in Jerusalem. And he's writing to Christians who have been scattered throughout the known world, the Roman Empire, really. And um, he writes... Because they're being persecuted. They're going through really difficult times. And so he writes to them on how to live rightly when you're faced with trials and temptation. That That's the book of James right there. How to live rightly when you're faced with trials and temptation. Do you think that's relevant to our lives today? Yeah, I think it definitely, definitely is. It's a very practical book. And we've gone through chapter 1. It took us a while because he packed so much into chapter 1. But it's almost kind of an outline for the rest of the book. And he gives these principles for how to live rightly when you're going through hard times. And the first thing he says is ask God for help. That's the first thing you do. And then the second thing that he says is we have to listen to God's word. Um, he, he says when God speaks, don't doubt it. But listen intently. He tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to what? To become angry. That's a, one of the most famous verses from James chapter 1. And a lot of times we apply that to each other. Like when we're listening to each other, we need to be quick to listen to each other and slow to speak, slow to become angry. And that's very true. But the original context that James uses it in is actually when we ask God for help, then we need to be quick to listen to God and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because sometimes we think God asks too much of us. Sometimes he's convicting us of something and we want to justify ourselves. So we need to become slow to become angry. And then the, the next thing he says is we must obey what God says. And he doesn't use the word obey. He says things like, um, do not deceive yourselves. Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. You know, he says stuff like that over and over again. And um, and there's a few specific ways he tells us to obey. One is, he says, get rid of moral filth. The things that are so normal to the world, but that are hurting you. you got to get rid of it. And then he says, um, focus on helping others. Look after the widows and orphans. He says things like that. A lot of times when we are going through trials and temptations, we get very inward focused on our own problems. And one of the ways we persevere through our own trials is to start helping others and not be so focused on what we are going through. And then the last thing that he talks about in chapter 1 is that we need to value things of eternal nature. Value things of eternal nature instead of just valuing the temporary things of this world. 
Um, and last week, we looked at the story of Moses and Pharaoh, which is a really good case study of one person who put these principles into practice and one person who didn't, and what happened in their lives. Um, you probably are fairly familiar with Moses. He was born a Hebrew, but was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, the king of Egypt. And his people, the Hebrews, were enslaved, but he was raised in a palace, you know. And he chose to get rid of the moral filth of that Egyptian lifestyle, all those luxuries, not that luxury is wrong, but luxury bought by oppressing others is wrong. And the Egyptian gods, and he left that behind and started focusing on how he could help the, the slaves. And he asked God for help. And he listened. And he didn't like what he heard. <laughs> God asked him to do the most ridiculous, crazy, impossible things. He said, go to Pharaoh. Tell him to let the slaves go. Like, really? I mean, I don't, I don't even know the equivalent to that. That would be like a Russian citizen maybe going to Putin and saying, you need to get out of Ukraine or something. I mean, you just don't do that, right? And then he says, well, if he doesn't listen to you, you know, tell him I'm, I'm going to send frogs. And it, it's just crazy. But Moses was slow to speak. He really only said what God told him to say. He was slow to become angry, both with God, who seemed to be demanding way too much, with God, who seemed to be letting his people be enslaved. He was even slow to get angry with Pharaoh, who kept saying, okay, I'll let him go, just pray for this plague to go away. And then be like, no, 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 I'm going to keep him. You know, he kept changing his mind. It's not until after the ninth plague that Moses gets angry. He's slow to anger, and he just obeys God again and again and again. And through doing this, Moses wins freedom for himself and his people. And that's what James says over and over, that God's laws, his commands, they're the, it's a law of liberty. It's a law of freedom. That when we obey what God asks us to do, it leads our, to our freedom. Where Pharaoh did the exact opposite. He refused to listen to God. He got angry again and again, and it led to his destruction. And so we see that idea in the book of James. Obeying God leads to our freedom. And it, we, it just sounds strange to us because we think that laws and commands hinder us. That freedom is being able to do whatever we want. But you know, if I want to eat a cupcake at every meal and I do, I'm not free. I'm sick. Because God did not design me to eat cupcakes all day long. You know? <laughs> Freedom is the ability to live rightly according to how we were designed. And God designed certain ways for us to live, including how we eat, how we work, how we rest, how we relate to Him, and how we relate to others. And when we follow His commands for that, We'll be healthy and we'll be free. So today we're reading from James chapter 1. And James is going to hone in on this one right here. Okay? That's the one. And as we go through different chapters, we'll read more about some of these other ones. But James chapter 2, 
He's going to talk about focusing on others. I'm actually going to start one verse before James chapter 2. All right. This is the word of God. It's the word of truth. Let's read it together. James chapter 1 verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's this getting rid of the moral filth. Now, he doesn't mean just widows and orphans. Okay? As we keep reading through James, he's going to talk about helping poor people in general. And he's going to name different specific types. But that's what our Father wants from us. Is that we look out for one another. We help those in need. Why? Because that's what he does for us. Let's keep reading. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, You stand there or or, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's kind of hard to imagine doing this. Um, And... In James's day, it was actually quite common to segregate people based on their social status. But let me try to relate it to our lives today, all right? Um, let's say, all right, Bill Dobbins. Bill Dobbins, yeah. He's the, the founder, CEO of Pastor Concepts, is that right? Yeah, okay. Um, I don't know him. I know, I know um, his business is one of the largest employers in Albion. And I know they give a lot of money to community um, projects. Let's just say he comes here some Sunday morning. I don't know if he's ever been here or not. Um, what's going to happen? Well, I think he's going to be greeted. You guys do a good job greeting everybody. You really do. Um, several people will not recognize him, but some of you will. And someone's going to be like, Go get Pastor! Come find me and say, Pastor, Bill Dobbins is here. You gotta come meet him. And so, you know, I'll come meet him and shake his hand and stuff. And um, and service will start, and 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 people will be like, "That's Bill Dobbins," you know. And everyone's just like outwardly staying calm, right? But some of you know about how he gives, and some of you are thinking, like, "Oh man, if he becomes a member here." <sighs> We could do so much stuff. And some of you might be like secretly praying like, Lord, please don't let Pastor Tamar bomb today. You know? (laughs) And let's say the same Sunday, a poor person comes in who James describes as wearing filthy clothes. Now, filthy clothes means they haven't washed in a while. Which means there's an odor, right? And maybe it's um, one of our 
family time Sundays. Where we set up tables after the service and we all share a meal together. Are you going to sit at the table with a poor person who has that pungent odor? Are you going to watch out of the corner of your eye to see if pastor sits down next to Bill Dobbins? And hope that Eric's there because he's better at small talk than I am? (laughs) What if there's a seat right next to him at a table and I don't take it? Are you going to think I missed a strategic opportunity? What if I sit next to the poor person? Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. Why does God choose poor people to be rich in faith? Because they have no one else to rely on. Yeah. If you have wealth, you have Lots of things you can rely on and be dependent on. You can depend on your money. You can depend on your education. You can depend on your network, you know. You can depend on your beauty and your money to sustain that. You can depend on the medical team you can hire. When you are poor, you don't have that. I love what um, F.B. Myers wrote about this. He was someone who lived between 1840 and 1929, and he had a ministry to the urban poor. He said this. He said, the rich man may trust God, but the poor man must. The poor man has no fortress in which to hide except the two strong arms of God. People who lack resources have more opportunity to see God miraculously provide and grow in great faith. People who have lots of resources have more opportunity to become proud. That's why in James chapter 1, James writes this. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. Now, he doesn't mean take pride, like be proud and haughty and like that, but it's more this idea of what you take pride in, you set before you. You don't forget about it. You display it. You remind yourself of what you're proud in. You remind other people of what you're proud in. And notice that James is telling both the poor man and the rich man to take pride in their humility. If you're poor, you take pride in the fact that, no, I don't got much. But in the Lord, I've got a lot. I've got great faith. 
I've got reward in heaven for persevering through all this. And if you are a rich person, you also are to take pride in your humility that what you got isn't really anything. It's not going to last. And all you really have is in Jesus Christ also. We take pride in our humility. God, he doesn't care if we are rich or poor, what we have. That's not how he judges us. And we can read scripture and there's lots of faithful, devout, rich people and poor people. There are foolish, corrupt, rich people and poor people. He doesn't care about that. What he cares about is who is humble before him. So whether you are rich or poor, let the only thing you take pride in be your dependence on God. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name to him to whom you belong? We have to read the context clues here to understand what's happening. But James is writing them because these these Christians are being dragged into courts. They're being persecuted. Presumably because of their beliefs. And we know from history that was true at this time. Um, Christianity was considered a new religion that was a threat to Judaism and to the Roman Empire. And so Christians were being dragged into courts by Jews. They were being dragged into courts um, by Romans as well. And it's interesting. It talks... It, it raises this thing that we don't really like to think about. Um, that rich people have the ability to litigate their causes in court. And poor people really don't. You know, rich people can afford to hire attorneys. They can afford to sue and lose. They can afford to drag things out for as long as they want. They can afford to bankroll politicians who will pass laws in their favor. Rich people can afford to do these things. Poor people can't. And you think these Christians, they're they're feeling the pressure. Some of them are starting to be dragged into courts and they're feeling the pressure. And you think this would make them be more compassionate to the poor because now they can relate They didn't really have a defense under Roman law. You know, you think they could relate to the poor who also couldn't defend themselves in the courts. But that's not what's happening, is it? Instead, they're taking a harsher attitude towards the poor. And they're kissing up to who? To wealthy people. (laughs) To wealthy people. And James is like, look, the poor person... Their poverty is not a threat to you. Why are you dishonoring them? And why are you kissing up to wealthy people? Don't you know it's wealthy people who are dragging you into the courts? 
My friends, there's this temptation we have. I don't think it's unique to Christians, but Christians certainly struggle with this temptation that when we feel the squeeze, when we feel like we don't have enough, we tend to view poor people as a threat to the scarce resources that we have. And there's a temptation to try to win the favor of rich people. Not because we think they're so noble, but because we want to use their power. And that's what was exactly happening here. And Christians still do it to this day. James says, these rich people, they blaspheme the name of Christ. You are willingly turning a blind eye to their immorality. Because you want to use your power. You want them to buy favor for you in the courts. And you're dishonoring the poor people. My friends, there is no, um, there's no lack of resources in God's economy. We shouldn't view poor people as a threat to our limited resources because there's no lack of resources in God's economy. And we shouldn't think we need wealthy people to come and rescue us because there's no lack of resources in God's economy. I think the, the root issue here is who do you trust is powerful enough to protect you? And this is a good question for Christians in America. I don't know of anyone here who's been dragged into a court for their beliefs, but we read headlines of Christians who are. And so we feel threatened. Who do you trust is powerful enough to protect you? Are you trusting wealthy people to open doors for you? Or are you trusting God? I think maybe the better way to put this is, Do we assume, when it comes to legal battles and such, do we assume that God's protection and provision will come through wealthy people? Do we assume that God will raise up some rich, powerful person to protect us? It's not exactly the biblical pattern. In scripture, we see God use people like a homeless nomad, Abraham, a slave like Joseph, shepherds like Moses and David, a widowed immigrant like Ruth, a prostitute like Rahab, a little boy with five loaves and two fish, and a baby boy born in a manger. Those are the kind of people that we see God bring his salvation and provision and blessing through. God often brings his salvation through poor people so that the glory and credit goes to him. And we stay humble before him. And not only does he often work through poor people 
to bring his protection, provision, and blessing. But he also makes them rich in faith. He chooses them to be rich in faith, which means we have something to learn from them. When was the last time you sat to listen to a poor person and listen to their wisdom? Isn't it always wealthy people we line up to hear? Because we, we think, well, they su- have succeeded and so they know how to succeed and we want to be like them and so we listen to them. We listen to them on news programs and blogs and podcasts and conferences and we read their books and everything like that. I mean, when have you ever thought, you know, I better go and listen to some poor people so I can be like that? We don't even think that way, do we? Who among us has ever thought, I want to be like the poor? God thinks that way. God thinks that way. And he has become poor for us. Second Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth about a middle class church. And he wrote to them to talk about how God was providing for persecuted Christians through the poor Macedonian churches. This is, this is what he writes. <clears throat> and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace. In other words, we want you to know what you can learn. The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So Paul, he went to preach to this church. He didn't expect to take an offering for that from them because they're so poor. They're in extreme poverty. But they pleaded with him, let us give. And they gave exceedingly to help persecuted Christians. And I have seen this time and time again. That poor people give so freely. And those of us who have more resources, we tend to hold on to it more tightly. And I think that's part of what God means when he says they're rich in faith. The poor have learned my salvation is not going to come from this money. And so they're more willing to give it. Paul goes on and he says this. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning. So Titus actually went to the Corinthian church and asked them to help give for the persecuted churches. Just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. 
I am not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. God became poor for us. He honors the poor. He is quick to identify with them and even becoming like them. I want to end this um, time with just a, a time for prayer and reflection. And I think there's a few things we need to reflect on. First of all, we need to search, ask God to search our hearts to see if there's any way that we have dishonored the poor. How we've viewed them as a threat, as an annoyance. To see if there's any place where we've shown favoritism. God, you know, the rich man that they gave the good seat to, that's not love. They weren't loving poor people, but they weren't really loving the wealthy person either. They just wanted to use them. Asking God to show us how we can love all people equally. We have, um, in our church here, Band of Brothers often gives generously. Um, We've also partnered with others to provide food for Harrington. But I think this is only the beginning of what God is asking us to do as a church. We're starting to pull together people and pray about what God wants us to do as a church. Um, Because there's more to be done. So I want to pray about that. But most of all, I just want us to reflect on the majesty and goodness of the God who made himself poor for us. Who did something that it's hard for us to even imagine wanting to do. Becoming poor for someone else. You should pray with me. God, I thank you for your word that speaks the truth through centuries. Throughout centuries, your word, God, it still cuts right to where we live today. And God, I just ask that you speak to us about what's going on in our own souls. God, I pray um, that we would not put our faith and our trust in wealth and material things that pass away, but in you. And we would know that you work through all kinds of people. And we would be open to who you are leading us to. We would be open to who you are working through. We would be open to learning your wisdom through whoever the person be. And not just look at economic status or formal education, God. 
but we would recognize who is rich in faith and who is not. God, I pray you teach us how to honor all people equally and be generous with those who need it and to be good stewards of what you have given us, Lord. Lord, teach us. We can't take care of everyone. But teach us who it is you are leading us to. And how. Lord, I thank you so much that you became poor for us. I can't even imagine everything Jesus Christ left behind. And I thank you for how you have honored him. And I pray that you will build in us the faith that if we leave behind those things that we think we need in order to serve you and be a blessing to others, that if we leave those things behind, that we trust that you will provide for us and you will honor us and uplift us just as you did for Jesus Christ. Because you are good. You are a good God. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.